Dr. Stacy, welcome, welcome back to the to the podcast. Yeah, good morning. Uh, it's been a minute, but you know, glad to be back. Always excited to get the opportunity to hop on here and chat a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm. I really enjoyed us doing these. Um, we we've done a couple, and it's been it's been a good time. I know Emily, my wife, was saying I enjoy it when you do podcast with coach Stacy. <laughs> so all right. Sounds good to me. I do appreciate that. Yeah, you know, I always look forward to doing these. Uh it's always nice to get a nice little bit of conversation rolling early in the morning. Uh especially just to kind of get to talk about the things that are important to us. Hmm. Which are a, a plethora of things. I think that we uh we enjoy talking about a multitude of topics. And uh yeah I think that's good. I think that we uh we have a, a broad range of interests, which I can't say that um, sometimes for me, like I get lost in, I like too many things. <laughs> you know, <I'm laughs> right. Like, kind of oh my gosh, I can't like focus on stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, sometimes there's just, there's almost too, too many opportunities to do good things. And it's kind of hard to decide, you know, kind of what you want to really focus on. I know really right now, if, uh, past couple of weeks, I felt like I've had more opportunities to go and do things that are like important to me or fun to me uh, so much that I've actually had to like start picking between different things. Mm. Uh, I was joking with a buddy the other day, like, man, I wish there was uh, this many opportunities for fun things to do in college. But I feel like every weekend now there's like mm. not enough time. Yeah, uh, I think time is somebody once said that we all have the same amount of time. It's what we do with it. Right. And uh yeah, man. So you are finishing up cross country season. Yep. And uh, man, y'all had a really good year. You really have. Yeah. Getting ready to roll into the state meet this weekend. Um, it's been a fantastic year. Uh, we've definitely made huge improvements from where we were last year. Uh, my girls team did earn uh, earn their bid back to states, you know. Got a little worried there for a moment. We got upset at conference. You know, we tried to defend our conference title, lost it by two points. Uh, you know, but we were able to turn that around the next week, and uh, it was just great to kind of see the girls overcome that. You know, I was talking to the girls beforehand, uh, before we raced at regionals last week, and just kind of told them, like, hey, you know, our loss at conference wasn't going to be the thing that defined us, you know, but what will define this program and what we're all about is how we respond to that. So, you know, to see the girls really take that to heart and, you know, respond correctly and get out there and get the job done, you know, was huge for us. Yeah. Uh, and then had some success on the boys side as well you know got a state qualifier for the boys team for the first time and i have to look back but i'm believing it's probably been about 10 plus years oh since we've gosh. at least had a boy at the state meet so to kind of get that accomplishment in there too just shows we're continuing to do the right things moving forward yeah it's awesome cross country it's just such a unique sport to me because football is so different football is this is a schedule. This is these are the plays. This is the time on the clock. I mean, you you get them ready, you get them in shape, and then it's hey, ready, set, run. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, such a different thing. It's definitely a different world. You know, every sport has their own like specifics of you know things they require out of you and everything. When you just look at cross country, you know, it's always the same thing. It's always going to ask the most out of you. You know, you're always going to have to battle with yourself in there. I think half the time, you know, you, from an outside perspective, you're watching a race, you know, you're watching people compete, but what you don't see is like what the athletes are competing with themselves in their minds. Mm -hmm. To me, that that's always kind of been my big draw to running is just how much it makes you sort of face yourself. 
you know, how much you have to look to that little voice inside your head that's telling you you can't and how many times you got to look right back at it and, you know, respond that I can't. Uh, to me, that's why I love running so much is because there really is those personal challenges uh, that to me not only is like makes people into better athletes, but teaches them how to be better people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that mental side of cross country because, I mean, in football or you know, basketball or other other sports, you see the, okay, the, the play worked or the shot went in or he threw a strike. In cross country, they're running, right? But it's that mental side, I'm sure, that you work a lot with your players on because that's got to be a tough – because you're by yourself. It's not like you're – do you, they even know the time, really? Are they even aware of the time, or is it they just run as hard as they can go? Sometimes they do. Uh, you know, throughout the regular season, some of our guys, uh, some of our folks will wear some watches. You know, they'll get an idea of kind of where they're at, you know, based on their time and their splits. Mm-hmm. For the most part, though, we know most of our competition, and that's kind of how we base off, like, hey, what position, where we should be at. Okay. Like, we know who we race with. We know who we need to, like, compete with. So let's get ourselves up there in a position to do so. Mm. So you're you're running based upon the competition. Like, I I know this person usually runs this, right. this speed, so I want to be in this pack, that kind of stuff. Yeah, especially in West Virginia. Times get so arbitrary when it comes to cross-country courses. I mean mm. – a 1930 at um, our course could be a 20 minute, like a 2030 at another course. You know, oh, there's okay. so much different between the courses that finding a consistent time really is kind of hard. So mm-hmm. we really try not to emphasize the time as much as just like the straight up fitness. Cause mm-hmm. you know, I've got a girl right now, her goal has been to break 18 minutes all year. I guarantee if we go throw her down on a track, she's going to smash 18 minutes. Right. However, you throw in the courses, the hills and everything mm-hmm. else. You're probably not going to find that out on the course. Right. So cross-country courses, what is the – what's the template? What, are they, what it has to be on one for, the, for it to be a cross-country course? Yeah. Uh, to be honest, as I've kind of discovered this week, uh, there's really not many rules surrounding cross-country. Uh, so we have some very basic guidelines, 5,000 meters, uh, okay. six feet in the boxes between each team. And other than that, just clear, clearly marked course is about as far as we go. Uh, so who measures the 5,000 meters? How does that work? Yeah, it's just the responsibility of the host school. Oh, okay. Uh, as far as I know, maybe other than the state meet, I'm not aware of any other course that's like ever been wheeled out. Like I know our course is a true right at 5,000 meters. And because of that, like we have a lot of hills in ours. You know, our times end up pretty slow compared to average. You know, guys who are usually running low 18s will run in the 20s for our course. Mm-hmm. I've We ran some other places, though, that are like a couple hundred meters short to kind of adjust for the time of the hills and everything else. For the most part, we just trust people to do their job. But either way, if it's not true to the 5K, mm-hmm. hey, everyone's still running the same distance. So it's not like anyone has a particular advantage on that day. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So this year, as you're reflecting on this year, what are some things that you think, man, I did that. That's new. I did that different this year. Or maybe I just went back to a something I've done in the past that really helped uh, help me this year. You know, I'm glad you asked that because when you first started, you kind of said something there I wanted to touch on uh, about like coaching the mentality side. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of times with cross country, we get the perspective of, you know, we're just 
conditioning. We're just getting them into good shape. Uh, but kind of as you pointed out, you know, that mental side of running is the biggest part. Uh, I think in kind of the past, this is year number three for me. So the past couple of years, you know, I've really kind of played more of an emphasis on just like, hey, we got to get fit. Uh, you know, kind of when I came over and took over the program, you know, we're in the toughest region. We got Morgantown, University, uh, Preston County, like all top five programs in the state. So, you know, for our team to like get up on that level and, you know, start earning bids to states, we really had to focus on that physical part. Mm -hmm. So last year, you know, we had our success. We got the girls to states. You know, we built the culture of like, this is an expectation. This is what we're consistently working for. But this year, it was odd. You know, I really came in just as like expecting to kind of do the same as last year but it was very apparent kind of coming into the season like coaching up the mentality side was almost more important for us uh we really struggled to kind of come together as a team there at the beginning of the year mm -hmm. uh, so there was definitely a heavy emphasis on like that team building aspect right. um you know a lot of people look at cross country as you know, it's an individual thing i mean yes there's still this team score but for the most part you know people really just look at the individual results you know, for our team and our purpose, a lot of focus and emphasis was placed on the working for each other. Mm. You know, when you're out there running and you're getting weak and you're feeling like I can't do this, you know, I'm, I'm like, I got to slow down. You know, I'm not going to have my race today mm. where we kind of like focus that attention is to, hey, remember there's other people depending on you. Mm. You know, you may be one of seven, but your results still affect those other six. Yeah. You know, so when you're out there questioning yourself, you know, we really want you to sit there and think to yourself, but hey, I'm hurting, but so is my teammate. You know, mm. that all those six other guys running with you, six other girls, hey, they're all hurting just as much as you, but they're still mm. fighting and pushing through it for you. So you gotta do the same for them. Mm -hmm. Feel like that was a huge turning point for us in the middle of the season mm. um, we had some really really big like workouts right there in the middle of the season that i think sort of helped bring us together and shape that mentality mm. and then especially those last couple weeks you really saw that executed mm -hmm. yeah i mean to get people to play for each other i think if you can do that as a, do that as a coach and you're going to have a successful year whatever that looks like because uh, genetics do limit <laughs> the ceiling of a season uh i've been at places personally where we knew we were going to win eight of the ten like we just showed up and didn't do something stupid <laughs> you know and then there's years where you're having to fight and scratch and claw for for everything you you get um but in cross country i would imagine <clears throat> you know you're looking at you got to train the physical train the mental and then the other piece is like you were saying what's the competition like because if you're basing is the year successful based upon who i'm competing against that can that can get that, that can be not good because hey if that person's going to like i know morgantown you told me last year sent somebody to oregon to run right. cross country like if my year if, if if i'm looking at is my year good depending upon do i beat the kid that went to oregon that's not that's not a good idea yeah you know you, I mean? you're not gonna do any good you're just gonna be sitting around beating yourself up yeah i mean for example you know up there at regionals last week you know our girls we knew hey we're in town's probably gonna run away with it they got the number two ranked runner in the nation um geez what yeah is that the oregon person 
Uh, no, her name is Irene Riggs. Uh, I'm not I'm not entirely sure if she's committed to anywhere yet, but anywhere she, she wants, basically, is what you're saying. Yeah, she finished up uh, second overall in the nation in the Brooks Two Mile last year at the Ooh. end of uh, track season. Buddy, she didn't actually race for a month and a half in cross country. Uh, the rumor is she got her foot ran over by a car in Morgantown, and then she went out there and won our regional by a minute and a half. Oh, jeez. So Man. you can imagine what a minute and a half lead looks like at cross country. Uh, yeah, like t it could be. Like, it's like ten minutes. Right. You're like looking like, hey, where's the next yeah, person? Where, yeah, where's everybody else yeah. at? <laughs> did we start? Uh, did everybody else start the race? You know. And you know, on the boys' side, like our boys, like you know, we haven't sent a boys' team to states in a long time, and I think mm -hmm. this year was a really good opportunity. We had some senior leadership. But you know, the university boys, they went one, two, three, and four, uh, and I yeah. think their fifth was like seven. Right. Right. And, you know, they ran so comfortably with such a lead that their one, two, three and four almost like came to an exact tie at the finish line. Oh, like they literally crossed four wide. It's like four. It's like what's that movie? Ford versus Ferrari, where they go across like three wide because they're way right. ahead. And so it's just kind of like looking at that. And it's just like, hey, you know, if we sit there and just focus on like what level that university program is at. Hey, you know, my guys are going to be looking at each other like, man, you know, we're not getting good. We suck. But that's not the perspective. You know, right. our perspective is building. We are getting better. Right. You know, we are predicted to lose out on the state spot by 20, like, I believe 25 points. Mm -hmm. We ended up only losing to Morgantown by four spot, four points. That's awesome. Um, you know, I was kind of analyzing the results <clears throat> last night. And, you know, there's really like three spots. Like, okay, if each of our guys catches the next person in front of them by one or two seconds, you know, we actually come out and – you know, we make it to states and like we can't sit there and like dwell on that mm -hmm. like we got to look like you know we weren't even predicted to be in the mix right and then there we are staying at the end you know we had morgantown fretting and kind of as i told morgantown's coach i was like man you all brought the absolute best out of us today yeah that's the best performance i could have ever gotten and you know mm -hmm. we had prs from every single boy all seven ran fastest oh, times awesome. ever so, I mean, again, you know, we could sit there and beat ourselves up looking at the success of these other schools. Mm. But at the same time, you know, we can sit there and be like, hey, look, we're doing the right things. We are building to that level. We are getting to that. Right. And that's what, you know, just keeps me excited, man. Yeah, that's awesome. How's the class going this year? I, I don't get to eat lunch with you guys this year because I'm an, I'm an admin. I'm on the dark side. You know, the, the Darth Vader music starts playing when I walk by. I can't speak on behalf of everybody, but I'll say this. School has been great. Um, oh, good. I tell you, man, I feel like this is the best school year I've had. I've been the most prepared, you know, just more like mentality is ready. But it's also the first year that has been normal for me oh. when my career started was yeah. essentially right in the middle of COVID. Oh, wow. Uh, that f real first year of teaching was when COVID broke out that spring and we dismissed school for the rest of the year. Sure. So really, if I had one word just to describe like this year, it's just consistent. Uh, right. Consistency has right. been the key. That is what to me became so obvious of what we were lacking. And when we looked at the root causes, like, yeah, you sit there and blame COVID. But like what we were truly lacking and what was hurting our performance was just consistency. Mm -hmm. Kids need that consistency. Teachers needed the consistency. And that's just what we have been like deprived of. So just to have a consistent routine this year, to me, has been so changing into just how, mm -hmm. you know, the rhythm of things, how everything's operating.
Mm-hmm. Um, I feel more on top of things. I don't feel like every day I'm coming in and having to like, you know, shuffle around and switch something up or mm-hmm. figure something and deal with something new. Mm-hmm. Just, just things are good this year. Yeah. I, I, I was reading Metro news and was talking about the SAT scores or it was the SAT, the test scores throughout the nation, the lowest they've ever been. And we were at the bottom <laughs> of the bottom uh, here in West Virginia. And uh, man, I think it just speaks to what you were saying, that consistency and virtual learning while there is a place is not, it's not going to take the place of the, the classroom and the in-person instruction, the direct instruction. It's just, you know, I remember when COVID first started, people were like, well, maybe this is the end of the traditional classroom. Well, the data would say otherwise. Right. Like, uh, no. Let's not, let's not do that. Let's not, let's not end uh, traditional schooling because I think it's just so important that we have that at time. And uh, yeah, man. So what are you guys covering in class this year? What, what are you doing right now? Uh, so right now, finishing up with the Roaring Twenties, uh, getting ready to hop to the Great Depression. Okay. It's always one of my favorite things to talk about. Just kind of talking about, you know, really what comes out of the Great Depression with like the New Deal, FDR's programs. Mm-hmm. At the time, huge, you know, saved our, really yeah. brought us back together. One of my favorite lessons coming up is actually, you know, taking a look at FDR's inaugural address. Mm. I don't really do a lot of president speeches and I don't really analyze a lot of those documents, but it's always one of my favorites because I think it's a very particular inaugural address that was very important to the direction that the United States was going to follow afterwards. I mean, you take a look at everything. You're looking at people who were in the most desperate of situations. The like financial insecurity is at its all-time high. And, you know, FDR's got to come in there and really convince the people, like, hey, I've got you. You know, I'm going to take care of you. You know, Like, we can't approach this with fear. We have to approach it with hope. But you, like, you know, I can't be the only one. We need you. Like, You know, he's mm-hmm. essentially making a plea to the people. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to buy in with me if we're going to fix this. So I always mm-hmm. love that just to kind of analyze, you know, imagine that you're living at this time. You've been living through all these economic hardships. Now, what does a president have to say to you to convince you that he has your trust? Right. And I always mm-hmm. just thought that was really cool. I got to be a little biased. FDR is like one of my most favorite, like mm-hmm. all time favorite presidents. Mm-hmm. So I just tons of respect for that guy and what he just his whole perseverance, man. Yeah. To overcome like polio, polio and Great Depression, World War II. Yeah, I mean, people definitely question his policies if you look at left and right. But I mean, I think he, most people think he saved like the economy. Now, the war helped. (laughs) Right. I mean, that's almost like a major boost to the economy. But and he definitely opened the floodwaters for like deficit spending. I mean, and, and, and we see that nowadays. Yeah. It's hard to look back and critique it at that time and be like, you shouldn't have done that. Right. We see the effects of deficit spending today and maybe how it's not the greatest of practices. But again, if you're looking at a man who stood up to all those challenges, looking at his own health of like, just to rise above that, you know, he could have called it quits when he was diagnosed with polio. When they took him from the family, like vacation home, brought him back to like the like mainland. You know, that could have been it. Like the rest of his life spent with a caretaker, but, you know, fought back with that determination and became one of the most powerful men in the world. Like, I mean. Oh, for sure. You know, it cracks me up looking at those 
pictures of like Churchill and Stalin sitting next with him. Like, you know, he just looks like such a man, like of power. And then, you know, but typically we look at people with disabilities like that and we just look at them so weak, but like, you just never saw that with him. And it's, it's really interesting how like the press back then protected him and didn't like expose that fact. And that's so different than it is today. Today, exactly. It's the complete opposite today. Yeah. The past few years teaching that has been great because of the elections. So being able just to kind of like draw a comparison to that, like, do you think the media today would really like back off of this? Like uh-huh. you all see all the trash stories we run of our presidents and all the things like, right. you know, that type of respect is just loss. Right. Um, you know, there's only like, you know, like four to five handful of photos, like from the press that exist of him in his wheelchair. Mm-hmm. And but I mean, at a time it was also a means of like national security because you can't have a look of, a weak president dealing with everything in Europe. You know, you needed the imagery of a strong someone like mm-hmm. standing up. So, you know, for the press's interest, it really wasn't in America's interest to post pictures of right. him that way either. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think like history is so interesting because things that like were acceptable to talk about are not acceptable. And, you know, I think about, like when did the president's personal life become a thing? Probably Bill Clinton. I mean, before then that was kind of off, off limits, right. right? You know what I mean? Like people didn't talk about that stuff. And then now it's like the only thing the press talks about. <laughs> like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, it's just so interesting how it's changed. I think you definitely got a little bit of it starting with JFK. Yeah, but that was still kind of kept right under wraps. You, you know didn't I mean? hear too much of it until after he was dead. Right. But still, uh, Kind of just his little Hollywood appearance, little handsome young man. Sure. You know, that definitely. Sure. The media's perspective of a president changed with JFK. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Our presidents right. went from someone of usually working in government, someone who was older. You know, it was the first time we got a young, fresh face. So definitely right. changed, like, just how we viewed our president and who they are. Sure. Yeah, man, politics. That is. I don't really watch the news. <laughs> no, I don't have cable, uh, my guy. Yeah, no, I have no cable. Well, we have we have a, a TV now. That's a that's a new thing. We, our girls can actually watch movies on the TV. Uh, but man, like I'll just read the news sometimes, and I go, okay, that's enough. Like it's just another so much going on, and uh, it can just like to me, it can like ruin my day. Like if I if I get too much in the negative town of what's going, what's happening. <laughs> You know, I think we're in such an interesting time in history that, like, people today are forced to be concerned about things that they never would have been 100 years ago. Like, yes, if we look back 100 years ago, and I have, like, tons of Time Magazine, like, Time Magazine articles from the 1920s in my classroom. You know, we still were paying attention to the other worlds, like, around us. We still were paying attention to other countries and other nations and, like, the news but it wasn't as easily accessible right. whereas today it's on your phone like why you get such emotional responses out of people is because nowadays you know we're being forced to immediately like form opinions on something that happened halfway across the world right right and that's just something i think is very particular to people today um you know 100 like 50 years ago even you're probably not catching that story until a week or two later you right. know what I mean? And nowadays, you know about it instantly. Right. 
a lot of times I think the news and like kind of all the stuff we get overwhelmed with, you know, something so far away from us that has no direct effect on our lives really like I think it eats up too much of our attention. I think it eats up too much of like just our investment in it. Mm. And I think a lot of times if people take a step outside their front door and look around for a moment, they'll realize like, yeah, it ain't that bad. There's a lot going on. Yeah, it's like was it years ago. This was like ten years ago. That coffee, the coffee guy in Africa that was like putting kids like into his army. Oh, Coney. Coney, there you go, Coney. Coney, 2012. Stop Coney. People got all kinds of riled up about that, but then we weren't concerned about like our neighbor down the street who something's going on. And it's right. just such a unique phenomenon with technology now that we feel like we're so invested in that. That's like thousands of miles, thousands of miles away, and. and you don't really have a direct impact on that. Right. And, you know, I think that kind of – this is a really cool conversation I, I get to have with, like, my classes and stuff. You know, we are taking a look at, you know, is it the government's responsibility? We were talking about, like, prohibition, mm-hmm. uh, the prohibition experiment in the 1920s. And we were kind of, like, analyzing, like, okay, was it successful? I think we can all agree no. Yeah, no. I, I mean, just no. no. It was terrible. Like, no. government quit making money. Gangs started popping up. You get the mafia. You get Al Capone. Like, I mean, it just was not successful. The only place you could drink alcohol was the Catholic Church. You know what I mean? Let's go take communion. <laughs> right. Let <laughs> me go get that prescription. Uh, oh my gosh. And so, kind of what we debate and what we look at is like, you know, is it the federal government's role to like solve these issues? Like, mm-hmm. it, do we look at them to solve those problems? And kind of as you're saying, you know, like everyone's so caught up about Coney, but then like not paying attention to their neighbor down the street. Right. You know, kind of the questions I ask is, you know, is this something the federal government could fix? I mean, you're talking about a wide right. nation. Like, are they going to be able to come into your community and fix the problems? Because, you know, where does prohibition come from? The temperance movement, okay? The religious movements popping up at the time. Women speaking out against their abusive husbands. Right. You know, and what I really think is, where should that issue be solved? Like, if we're so concerned about men being drunk and then going home and being on their wives, like, you know, obviously prohibition did not solve that issue. That did not stop, like, right. that domestic violence. But the community, that's where that problems are solved. Mm-hmm. You know, we started discussing those things, like things that are specific to our area. We talked about the opioid epidemic. And I'm like, listen, you've seen the government, like, Opioids are like they're drug, they're you know they're labeled as drugs by the federal government and this that or the other, and yet we still suffer. Right. You know, and we in West Virginia could sit here for days and petition the federal government to come in and do something about it. But how do they address the root issues of it? You know, they don't know that like we do. Right. You know, that's where we got to pick up the pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the more local you can go with something, the better. I think that's. That's the best way to do it. I mean, if you can handle it in your house, handle it in your house, you can handle it in a small community. Yeah, that's always the best way because the federal government is so large. That's such a machine. It's hard for them to use tactical maneuvers to help with different issues. Absolutely. You know, Aldous Huxley, uh, one of my favorite, uh, one if not my favorite author, um, he has a saying that I have up in my classroom, you know, there's only one corner of the universe that you can be certain of improving, and that's your own self, you know, right. your own mind. And kind of I look at that a lot of times and take that and apply it a little bit further. Like, you know, I can't do, you know, I can't go to Russia right now. I can't go stop the Ukraine war. I can't go, like, mm-hmm. you know, stop whatever Putin's regime is doing. 
But you know what I can do is like handle the problems here in my own community. I can make the world a better place with what's in my grasp. Right. And I think a lot of times over the past few years, I've struggled with that of feeling so frustrated and feeling so helpless. Mm. And if anything, that's what this year has really brought to me is kind of showing me with cross country, with school, mm. with some of the other things I'm involved in. It's like, you know, you do have power. There oh, is a sure. lot that you can change. There is a lot that you can affect. And sure, that might be on a small scale. You may not see the benefits or the results of it like you would hope, but not trying, you know, is 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 just worse. Right. You know, I mean, not just accepting. Okay, I can't. I'm not going to make this better, and so I'm not going to do anything about it. You know, mm-hmm. to me, I just I can't settle for that type of weak mentality. Yeah. You know, I got to believe that everything that I'm doing has a purpose, and you know, that I can do something about mm-hmm. it. Uh, Walking around with that helpless idea of, you know, I can't do anything to fix this. Just, ain't never going to get you nowhere. We can always do something. Right. Uh, and make make our community a better place. Coach, thank you for joining us this morning, man. You're, you're a bright spot in my day, man. I appreciate you hey, coming and doing listen, this. Listen, man, and, always. you got to start making it a uh, more common routine. I know our lives are both pretty busy, but yeah. it should be shortening enough a little bit with the fall season's wrapping up. It will, yeah. It will start to slow down. Uh, maybe I'll have some time after school. We could do that. We could have like some uh, some afternoon instead of uh, six a.m. where you're running over tree trunks and try, yeah, and well, trying not try do it out your house, you know. Yeah, uh, you know, then West Virginia driveway sometimes ain't the most ain't the greatest to get in and out of. But you know what, we made it and got to have a good morning. That's awesome. We had some coffee, good conversation, Coach. Thank you. I appreciate you. Hey, always.